Welcome, Welcome to the Unreal Talk, Talk Show with your host, host Darren, Darren Walker. back everyone episode two for the unreal talk show i am aaron walker and i will be your host for the next hour i hope everyone is staying safe insane <laughs> during the current pandemic um i'm i'm doing my best just to stay occupied with whatever i can get my hands or eyes on whether it's just doing this podcast or playing video games on my pc or trying to catch up with stuff on Netflix. I'm just trying to do my dandest not to slip into unrecoverable boredom. Uh, luckily, there are just a ton of movies that I can watch. There's a ton of things on the internet. So I should be fine for the time being. Uh, on today's itinerary, uh, we're going to be going back and fixing some things from our previous episodes with uh, an arrows and omissions segment. Uh, then we're going to go into a deep dive into reboots. Why we hate them, why we love them, and why they're even here in the first place. Uh, finally, I want to talk about some of my personal favorite reboots of all time before sharing our advice for the day. Before we go into all that, though, I want to take a quick break so we can just go straight into it right afterwards. Hey, everyone. Sorry to take up your time from listening to me, but I wanted to take a quick second to tell you about a cause that I find extremely important and near and dear to my heart, and that is the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. They are dedicated to curing leukemia, lymphoma, and other blood cancers. Uh, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is the world's largest voluntary nonprofit health organization dedicated to funding blood cancer research and providing education and patient services. They're an amazing foundation, and while they do not officially sponsor Unreal Talk Show, I feel like if I have a platform, then I should use it for good. So why not spread at least some awareness of this foundation? From a personal experience, I can say that they are a huge savior. When I was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma, I applied for help and they took care of all my co-pays and the majority of my treatment, which was a huge savior to me. However, towards the end, they had to stop providing assistance because donations were low. Because at the time, people were not donating very much. Now that I am cancer-free, I feel that I should try to increase awareness for this amazing cause. If you're ever feeling generous and feel like giving, please keep Leukemia and Lymphoma Foundations in your list of considerations. They are absolutely amazing. Now, back to the program. So, this is not as much as an error and omission segment as as much of it is as just a brain fart. I was so excited about our first episode that I forgot to tell you one key detail me who your host is well again my name is aaron walker uh, i am a cancer survivor and i am a nerd for all aspects of film i am based out of oklahoma and recently found out that i am essential to my job i am a lot like wayne campbell though uh from wayne's world uh i do live in a suburb of a major city i live in broken arrow outside of tulsa uh, and I've had plenty of Joe jobs, nothing that I'd really call a career. Let me put it to you this way. I have an extensive collection of name tags and hairnets. I have my beautiful wife, Lisa, and I have our handful <laughs> named Adric. 
Uh, I love movies and TV so much that I just wanted to do my very own podcast dedicated to it. Uh, Ever since I was a kid, uh, I always saw myself as being an actor. I just thought it would be fun. I remember I auditioned for my very first city play. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Midsummer Night's Dream. I know it was a Shakespeare play, and I'm pretty sure it was Midsummer Night's Dream. And I choked hard. It was just an overwhelming experience for me. It was my first time auditioning, uh, but there were so many people in the room. And the lights will disorient you. If, if you've never been on stage and you've never had that experience and you go up there for the first time and you're not prepared for them, they will just completely disorient you and they will just make you forget everything that you were about to do and say. And if you are already really shy, it just makes it really, really difficult for you to get past it. Uh, I remember my mom telling me that I didn't get the part and I was just really, really heartbroken because I wanted to be an actor and I felt that because I didn't get this role that my potential career was over at the age of like nine uh, just because I didn't get a part in a local play. Uh, Luckily, that didn't stop me from loving movies, and I did eventually act in high school and in college. I did it competitively and um, in our theater groups. Uh, My dad, whenever I was a kid, started challenging me with movie quote knowledge whenever I was like 10. So that pushed me to watch and remember as much information as I could just in case he threw at me any quote at any time and I would be able to respond. And I think at first it was more about me just trying to impress him with knowing the movies. Uh, But eventually I fell in love with those movies like Back to the Future, Breakfast Club, The Labyrinth, Ghostbusters. My dad and I still, we send each other quotes through text messages all the time. Uh, We do the same thing with song quotes. Uh, It's just a fun tradition that we've always kept up in He's given me the ability to quote The Breakfast Club, word for word, uh, just in case if I were ever really in a situation where I'd have to save my family in a life or death situation by telling whoever it was who Bender thought Mr. Vernon's wardrobe had looked like. Uh, Barry Manilow, for those who didn't remember. I just thought the balls on this kid just to torch his principal on a whim in front of everybody while he's already in detention is this one of my favorite scenes of all time well that's me in a nutshell that's not me in a nutshell this is me in a nutshell help i'm in a nutshell (laughs) i can't think of that phrase in a nutshell without thinking of austin powers every single time i'm sure as the weeks go though you'll learn much much more about me so my kid discovered Aladdin on Disney Plus the other day, but he discovered the reboot first. He absolutely loves the live-action version, so much that he actually prefers it from the original. He's seen the animated version, and he's seen the reboot version. Now, I don't get upset as a parent for him liking the reboot more, because that just means for me that Disney was effective in the tactic of having that reboot which was to reach a new audience that may not have been exposed to the original film yet. But it did get me thinking about all the reboots that we've seen over the past several years, and it seems daunting just how many have been introduced and reintroduced in such a short amount of time. And they're not all well-received. 
In fact, I would actually say in general, most of the people that I talk to have a negative first impression of most, if not all, reboots mentioned without any knowledge of the film. So that got me asking why studios even have reboots in the first place. Why do some love and hate others? Well, to answer these questions, I decided to do some research and see what I could come up with. First, I think it's important to distinguish between a reboot and a remake because they are different. Uh, Vox on September 2019 says, In general, the simplest way to remember the difference between a reboot and a remake is to remember that for a film to be a reboot, it should be resetting a chronology that has been established over multiple films. A remake is concerned with updating a single film, sometimes slavishly. So now that we know what a reboot is specifically, I wanted to know the reason why a studio would rather redo something rather than coming up with some new material. Michael Rothman on May 2017 tells us, It's also too important to know and understand exactly what is at the heart of all this, intellectual property. Recently, the industry has seen a solid string of success born out of rebooting or upgrading content from the past. This is a risk-averse strategy. You bank on content where people already have a sense of the characters, they have a sense of where the plot is, what the story is. They already know these brands, and these combinations have worked on one generation, and if written properly, will work again. It's why movie sequels really begin, tried and true, and lessens the risk, as these companies are very risk-averse and with millions of dollars being spent. So, it would seem that the bulk of the reason is due to the fact that studios are wanting to stick with tried and true stories that have been successful and hoping that by rebranding and breathing new life towards a new audience will provide the same results. But like I said, it seems more times than not, people aren't on board even with the thought of a movie that they like getting a reboot. There was a study that was done by a collaboration with SEO firm Verge Search. Uh, It was called Remake My Day, and it standardized IMDb and Metacritic scores to compare ratings and profits of recent movie remakes. Uh, The results weren't really that great for reboots. 91% scored lower with audiences than the originals, and only 21% were more profitable. The original Dumbo, for example, scored 96 on Metacritic, and its remake currently holds a score of only 51. Now, me personally, I don't like a reboot. It provides nothing new that I couldn't get out of the original film. For me, what makes a good reboot is three factors. Does it have callbacks without overdoing it? Does it provide new material that honors the original subject while creating a new experience? Could you watch either movie and get the same story with a positive, different experience? Movies like the live-action Lion King are portrayed as reboots, but to my way of seeing it, that movie is just a remake. The dialogue and scene sequence is practically shot for shot. And the thing about it is, there's something that we give to these studios that's more valuable than when we buy a ticket. And that's our time. Studios want us to sit for two plus hours to watch a reboot, so I want it to be worth my time. The Lion King, in my opinion, like I said, was a remake because 
practically every line was exactly the same and you don't really get anything new out of it. You could watch the original and get literally the exact same dialogue scenes as the reboot and that's really not worth it for me. Now, with that being said, but there have been clearly successful reboots. So it's not all doom and gloom for rebooted franchises. Uh, Caitlin Leal talks about the success of reboots in Screen Rant, August 2018. With the constant barrage of sequels, remakes, and reboots that Hollywood sends on its ways in recent times, it's easy for modern viewers to feel overwhelmed and oversaturated by movies that aren't entirely original. But that doesn't mean reboots should be disregarded and ignored at all costs. If a reboot is approached with focus and care and given the appropriate talent behind and in front of the camera, a reboot can improve on the original source material in major ways. In fact, some of the most acclaimed and enjoyed movies in recent memory are actually reboots, proving that just because a film isn't original doesn't mean it will be an automatic disaster. So even in recent history, we have seen a lot of reboots well-received and critically acclaimed. A few that come to mind offhand, or at least one that comes off to mind offhand, uh, The Departed with Leonardo DiCaprio, Matt Damon, Jack Nicholson. It was directed by Martin Scorsese. Uh, the original film is actually called Internal Affairs, which is a 2002 Hong Kong crime thriller film, which was directed by Andrew Lau, I think that's how you pronounce that, and Alan Mack. Uh, not to be confused with the 1990 American film Internal Affairs, uh, but The Department was so successful that it took home an Academy Award for Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Writing. So clearly, reboots have been successful. I think the reason that they get so much anger thrown at them is because of all the flops. If people would take beloved source material seriously and not just use it to cash in to the fan base that was already created by someone else, it could be a great movie. Knowing that there are great reboots out there, it's time for me to reveal my favorite reboots of all time, and we're going to answer our three factors and see if they hold true to a good reboot. First, Batman Begins. <laughs> so this is obviously no surprise that this would be on my list. As I mentioned in our first episode, I'm a huge Batman fan. I really felt that Batman was finally being taken seriously with Batman Begins. Uh, we first got Michael Keaton in Tim Burton's first two adaptations. Both were extremely well-received. Michael Keaton was not really expected to do well playing Batman, especially playing Batman in like a serious role. Now, this was a man that just got done starring in a film called Mr. Mom. Uh, maybe worth the watch for any of you who haven't seen it, but if you have seen it, you probably never would have thought that that same actor would have delivered the performance that he did in Batman and in Batman Returns. Uh, Jack Nicholson's Joker, iconic, and will always be used as a benchmark for that character, especially knowing that his only real example to draw inspiration from was Cesar Romero in the Adam West 1966 Batman TV series. Uh, if if you ever saw that, you know, Joker ran around just going, Ooh! clapping his hands and he uh Cesar Romero didn't want to shave his mustache that was like a caveat to his contract with them and so if you watch the old 1966 Batman TV series which I do recommend it is campy uh but campiness was an art 
back in that time frame. So if, if you get past that point, it, it's still a really good series. But if you look at the Joker's face, he has just white paint over his mustache, and it looks just absolutely ridiculous. So that was really Jacob Nicholson's only inspiration to draw off of, and he did just such an amazing job in that film. But then those two were followed up with Batman Forever, which I will always defend is a great movie. Jim Carrey as the Riddler in that movie is just some of the best example of perfect casting in a superhero film, I think. Uh, But then we caught a steaming pile dumped on our chest with Batman and Robin. Bane! (laughs) Such a stupid movie. Batman just it just was not taken seriously ever since then. Joe Schumacher has even apologized for destroying the franchise. Apparently, they were just really pressured to make a movie that could be quickly turned into toys. So, because at the time in the 90s, like, you know, late 1990s, there was a big boom in toys, like not with just kids, but like with collecting toys. So, Joe Schumacher was presented by WB like, hey, we need you to pump this out as fast as possible so that way we can start making toys and the scenery and all of this has to basically be something that we can turn into a toy. Um, So that is what we ended up getting was the end result. Uh, And it was garbage. And again, Joe Schumacher has apologized a lot for destroying the franchise. Uh, George Clooney also has apologized for it. Um, so it was just a cash cow from the start, but Batman Begins was an amazing movie. Christian Bale also performed better than I think most of the people think he was going to in that role. Leading up to that point, Christian Bale was like an American Psycho, which was an amazing film, but American Psycho doesn't always translate into being a good Batman. Uh, so I think at the time, like I said, Christian Bale was just not very, being taken very seriously as, as Batman in that role. Um, and I think it did an amazing job. Uh, Liam Neeson as Ra's al Ghul. And yes, I'm going to keep saying Ra's al Ghul until everyone who listens to this podcast says it without even thinking it. Because it is not Ra's al Ghul, it is Ra's al Ghul. But anyway, Liam Neeson was a great choice for Ra's al Ghul, and to include that character in such an early start to this franchise was a risky choice, in my opinion, because that character is kind of a... I mean, he's an important character in the Batman ethos, but he's obviously not, like, one of his more popular rogues gallery villains. You know, you have... The ones that have already been introduced, you have Catwoman, the Joker, Mr. Freeze, the Riddler, Two-Face. You could have gone with any one of those. Because by contrast, I mean, Man of Steel went back to Zod, who was not even an original comic book character. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't like that movie, was because they went with a character that was specifically written for the original movie series. They could have gone really anywhere with that. They had any number of villains that they could have went with and they went back to Zod and so I thought that was a bad choice so for them to go with a character like Ra's al Ghul and as Scarecrow being thrown into the mix like those two villains are B-list villains I mean if you're if you're 
into the Batman storyline as much as I am. Uh, you know, I, I would say those are maybe B-list characters as far as the rogues gallery goes. Um, so I, I think that those two are great. Um, now let's answer the three. Let's answer the three factors. Let's see if the film meets it. First, does it make callbacks to the original without overdoing it? Well, it actually makes zero callbacks to the original film, which is a good thing. If you are going to make a reboot to a series, I'm okay with you pretending that the original series didn't exist, especially when that original series has bat nipples and more ice puns than an Eskimo comedy house. Does it provide new material that honors the original subject while creating a new experience? The story honors the original content in that it's the same names and basic actions that trigger Bruce Wayne's training, but how they depicted that evolution was com completely different. It was a completely new experience to audio members, and it's an important one, in my opinion, at that. Could you watch either movie and get the same story with a different positive experience? Absolutely. Like I said, both films are different in just about every aspect without while, while being the same you have tim burton's you know gothic dark look and then you have christopher nolan's more realistic approach of batman both michael keaton and christian bale took different approaches to how they would play the playboy billionaire aspect of it versus playing the batman they both went with darker voices and deeper voices so that stayed pretty consistent uh, but they both went different avenues, they have different villains, and you get a completely different experience out of all of them. Now, if you're going to put Batman versus Batman Begins, I'm still going to have to say that Michael Keaton played the billionaire playboy a little bit better in my opinion. Plus, the dark gothic vibe of Burton's is just, it's just right for Batman in my opinion. It's the right comic book feel and setting without being too cartoony. Another reboot that I really enjoy is the Nightmare on Elm Street reboot. Now, I never really understood why this movie is hated as much as it is. Jackie Earl Haley plays Freddy Krueger. And for those who don't know, he actually played Rorschach in Watchmen by Zack Snyder. And interestingly enough, he went with Johnny Depp to audition for the original film didn't get the part, but then it came full circle because he ended up playing Freddy in the reboot, which is pretty great. Now, let's go ahead and answer the three questions here. Does it provide callbacks without overdoing it? I think they did a really good job at balancing a couple things in this reboot. First off, Freddy has a dark and oftentimes perverted sense of humor, so them throwing in like classic Freddy lines like how's this for a wet dream is a really good like tip of the hat to the original series without making it obvious it wasn't just like a two hour shot of Jackie trying to reenact Robert Englund I think they did a good job at doing the callback to what was at least implied in the original series as to what Freddy Krueger had done to the kids and why they were being hunted down by him they just took a completely different approach to it which is a perfect segue into the second question does it provide new material that honors the original subject while creating a new experience a thousand percent it does again i don't understand why this movie 
was tarnished as much as it did because the film does one thing that the original film didn't which was actually have more than just like a two minute synopsis on why freddy krueger is after all of these kids in the original film you just have the meeting between nancy and her mother and just again like they take his stuff out of the furnace where it was hiding and again we get just a real quick callback to what had happened and that was really it and the rest of the movie is just all about them being hunted not trying to be killed and then nancy winning out on the end of it the movie in the reboot is based all around freddie's motives rather than just nancy losing friends left and right and i think in my personal opinion that puts it a little bit above the original in that it actually had more focus on Freddy Krueger rather than having just a focus on the slasher and the blood, guts, and gore of all of it. It was actually more of a story rather than just a slasher film. Could you watch either movie and get the same story with a different positive experience? Again, I'm going to have to agree and say absolutely. The reboot wasn't in any way a shot-for-shot remake and the plots are parallel but also opposing to the point that i think that the reboot can just stand on its own and if i like i said if i'm being honest i like the reboot a little bit better don't hate me don't judge me i just really like the backstory and whenever i saw this in theaters i was really pumped to go see it i was really skeptical because the original series is very near and dear to my heart it's something that me and my mom bonded over whenever i was younger so i of course came into this movie with a lot of you know skepticism but whenever i watched the film i was really pleased and i was pleased primarily because it provided something that the original movie didn't and i think that that movie within itself kind of made me have that standard for having or watching reboots is that the reboot should provide new material because if it doesn't then what's the point of even having the reboot other than like what we talked about before just trying to cash in on a franchise that is already well known and just repackaging it now here we go drum roll please my favorite reboot of all time currently is spider-man homecoming Our Spidey is back, and Marvel got it right on the first go. Tom Holland plays an amazing Peter Parker. He plays an amazing Spider-Man. I think he does a great job at showing when Peter's not in the suit, he's shy and he's timid, and he, he, he questions himself a lot. But whenever he dons the red Spidey suit, he's confident, and he says, like, smart-ass things to villains, and... That's something that I don't think that Tobey Maguire or Andrew Garfield did a very good job in their respective Spider-Man films, and I think that Tom Holland did very, very well. Now, does it provide callbacks without overdoing it? This is a lot like Batman Begins in the fact that it chooses a villain that hasn't already been presented in the Spider-Man universe choose the vulture which again played by michael keaton wow just now realizing that two films out of all this were played by michael keaton uh (laughs) but the vulture was a great choice 
And what I think is great is that we're able to watch this movie and still get a sense of everything that's already happened. We don't have to talk about anything else. We just move on. Don't even mean to mention it. Does it provide new material that honors the original subject while creating a new experience? Absolutely. We finally don't have to watch Ben get murdered over and over again. My God, how many times are we going to see a Spider-Man or Batman origin story? We fucking get it already. They're dead. We don't have to see Ben get shot over and over again in over-abuse flashbacks. Oh my God, I'm just so glad that we did not have to deal with that because we already know how they die after all the films and comics and animated series and movies, we know how they get murdered. Could you watch either film and get the same story with a different positive experience? Well, I don't know about the positive experiences, but you can certainly watch both and get an experience out of them. Tommy McGuire's first film as Spider-Man wasn't bad. It was good. And I think that it was important to superhero films as a whole if that movie had flopped. Because you have to remember that before Spider-Man, there really weren't a whole lot of good examples of superhero movies. There has already been a Punisher movie uh, with Dolph Lundgren that was later rebooted. Uh, That movie was terrible. They had already done a Fantastic Four movie uh, before the one with Jessica Alba in it. And that movie was terrible. So... And they also had done a Captain America movie, um, and it was also terrible. So leading up to this, especially Marvel specifically, had not really found their niche whenever it came to turning their comic books into major motion pictures. So the fact that Spider-Man came out when it did, uh, it came out post 9-11, but if you see the film, Spider-Man at one point is on the Twin Towers. But again... The movie itself was really frustrating in a lot of different times, and the series as a whole really didn't turn out that great. For me, Homecoming is by far the better Spider-Man film, even better than the Andrew Garfield series, which, again, in Andrew Garfield's first attempt, it was nice to see... It was nice to see Andrew Garfield play a Spider-Man that didn't have webs coming out of his skin inexplicably, Uh, So that was always good, and I think that he did a good job with the first film. It's just those movies end up turning out being part of series that were just kind of really underwhelming, and that was extremely frustrating to deal with. So to have Tom Holland as Spider-Man, we first get him in Captain America Civil War, does an amazing job in that. And then he has Spider-Man Homecoming and Far From Home. So out of the three movies that he has already appeared in, he's done head over heels better than any of the people who have came before him. Okay, so now that we've talked about my favorite reboots of all time, I would like to talk about the ones that I loathe with the fiery passion. Starting off with number one, Hellboy. The reboot of Hellboy was a movie that I couldn't get 
I couldn't get 10 minutes into it. I had to turn it off. I, which was extremely frustrating because the first Hellboy 1 and 2 were really, really good. And I like Hellboy. So I was really looking forward to the movie. But again, I could not get 10 minutes into it. Hellboy honestly looked like he looked like a meth head. It, like from a distance, it just looked like his face was all sunken in. He had this like really gross, thin-haired, long-haired, bald on the top look. It was just really unappealing, and it just was not good at all. I'm glad that that movie flopped because if it didn't, it was gonna spawn another one. And I, for the love of Christ, do not want another Hellboy movie. The second reboot of all time that I cannot stand. Godzilla, the one that came out in 1998 with Matthew Broderick. Holy crap, what a steaming pile of crap. I remember watching that movie, and even as a kid, there's like one point in that movie where, I don't remember who's asking the question, but somebody asked Matthew Broderick, like, why Godzilla would have chosen Manhattan to to be in and Matthew Broderick's like well you know really if you think about it it makes sense look at all of the tall buildings it can hide in excuse me look at all the tall buildings it can hide in Godzilla is like 30 stories high bro he's not going to be able to blend in or I guess she in this instance because I'm pretty sure Godzilla had a baby Godzilla in that movie the cgi for that film was absolutely terrible even for the time and even the look of godzilla was just absolute crap and i remember just so much advertising went into this film i remember i remember it being like a really big blockbuster movie and i'm sure as a kid i initially thought it was okay but coming back to it was really really rough i i could not i could not stand to watch that movie ever again now third and finally the movie reboot that i just absolutely cannot stand charlie and the chocolate factory now what's more difficult about not liking that movie is that it actually does meet a qualification to be a good reboot which is to provide source material and content that is not originally in the first film which it does we get a complete deep dive and backstory into Willy Wonka the movie is more about Willy Wonka than it is about Charlie obtaining the chocolate factory which I really enjoyed the that movie is more closely related to the book than Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was, but I can't I can't get over the Oompa Loompas. I'm sorry guys. I just can't. I've tried so hard to like the that movie, but every single time I just, I just can't get over it. I would much have rather not seen any Oompa Loompas in that movie than to have seen what I saw. So as much as I love Tim Burton and as much as I love Johnny Depp in Tim Burton films and as much as I really enjoyed the fact that there was a lot of different backstory from 
Willy Wonka's perspective rather than Charlie's perspective, I just can't get through it. I can't. Every time they sing, I just, I can't do it. All right. Well, that does it for our reboots. Literally a tale as old as time, broken down, and now we understand them a little bit better. Studios just making safer bets that we will be more like drones and spend our money at theaters on the same crap over and over again, just repackaged. But again, I will stand true that there are plenty of examples of good reboots out there, and I would like to hear from you as to what some of your favorite reboots are. You can tweet the Unreal Talk Show at, at Unreal Capital T. You can also get a hold of the Jedger, that's Jason Edgar, and he's also a part of the Oops All Topic podcast network. Skimming right along, if you're looking for things to watch, I have a few recommendations in a new segment I call Watch This on That. Now, I recognize that everyone doesn't have the same streaming platforms, so I wanted to give a few options just in case if you're cooped up at home and having a hard time finding something new. Netflix, Tiger King. <laughs> if you haven't already seen this series, you are at least aware of the memes and that that bitch Carol Baskin did something to her husband. This series is insane and it all revolves around a tiger zoo right here in Oklahoma. My dad actually went to this zoo, apparently. I was unaware of this until, like, a few nights ago. He sent me a text message saying, by the way, I went to that zoo that's in Winniewood, Oklahoma. I was completely unaware of that. Apparently, uh, Joe Exotic, the main topic of this documentary, went up to him and talked to him about a big tortoise that was there. Now, I want to give a disclaimer, though. This does not depict how all Oklahomans look or act. I swear, every single time that there is an opportunity for someone from Oklahoma to be on a camera in front of a bunch of people or in front of the entire nation, this is the type of people that they put in front of that damn camera. And it is not indicative of how we in Oklahoma act. We have cities. We have cities, and you can tell. I speak proper English. I remember talking with somebody in New York at a call center from a job a long time ago, and he was extremely surprised that I spoke English well. He asked me where I was from, and I said Oklahoma, and he said, oh, well, you speak English very well. I responded that we didn't live in a different country, so that didn't make a whole lot of sense. He was also he also seemed legitimately surprised that I didn't go to work in a wagon and a horse. But you have to watch it. You will not regret it. I promise. Disney Plus, I have already talked about it on the last episode, but I will stress it even more now. Go watch the movie Onward. If you like fantasy, Dungeons and Dragons, this is the type of movie that you're going to love. And it's Disney. It's Pixar. How are you not going to love it? Now, if you're looking for a movie to rent, let's say you want to actually rent a movie, the movie that I would recommend is What About Bob with Bill Murray. It's a really old film, but if you don't have it, or if you haven't seen it, and you need a really good laugh, this movie is going to do that for you. And for $5, 
I really feel that is a good buy or rent, as it were. Which goes straight into my next one, which is purchase. If there is a movie out there right now, and I don't buy movies that often. Again, I have multiple streaming services. I have access to like CBS and like all like the network stations and stuff. I have access to the HBO. I don't buy movies rarely ever. So whenever I do buy a movie, it's a movie that I genuinely believe is worth it. And the movie that I feel, at least right now, that's worth it is 1917. Guys, I just watched this film for the first time, and I can honestly say right now that this is the best World War I film, or even war film in general, that I have seen in a really, really long time. Along with movies and music, I love like war history, or just history in general, and this movie was phenomenal. It's not actually based on true events, but it's based on things that more than likely had to happen constantly, uh, which was the, the movie's basic premise of it is that these two men are ordered to take a command, an order, from their trench all the way across German in, enemy lines to a colonel to call off an attack before they get ambushed because what the platoon doesn't realize, the one that they have to get the message to, is that the Germans knew that they were going to be trying to go after them there. So the Germans were going to turn around and ambush them, acting as if they were running away, but they're not. They were expecting them this the whole time. They were planning it for months. So these two men have to go miles just to deliver this message. And the way that they shot the film is to make it seem like it was all done in one take, which is really, really awesome. The movie, I believe, uh, if I heard correctly, if the movie got uh, an Oscar for cinematography, which it absolutely deserves it. If you watch this movie from the time that it starts to the time that it ends, it is extremely well-directed, is extremely well-filmed. Uh, the acting in it is absolutely phenomenal. The people that you think are going to be the main focus of the movie don't turn out to be the main focus of the movie. That's all I will say. But it is an amazing, amazing film. And those are my recommendations right now. So, again, just a recap on them. If you have Netflix, go watch Tiger King. It is a series. It is absolutely worth it. You you just need to watch it. It is absolutely insane. Disney Plus, Onward. Go watch Onward right now. If you haven't watched it, as soon as you're done with this, watch that first. That's what I'm going to say. Uh, Hulu, Parasite, holy crap, an amazing movie. Go watch it as soon as you possibly can, if you have Hulu. Rent, What About Bob, right now, an amazing movie. Again, Bill, one of Bill Murray's best and probably one of his most underrated films. Uh, for those who have never seen the film, uh, Bill Murray plays a patient uh, who, he just has a lot of problems. He, he sees a psychiatrist and his psychiatrist passes him off to uh, a, a colleague of his, the, the other main character, the supporting actor. And uh, it, it's just really, really funny. You just need to go see it. Uh, and again, if you're in the mood to buy a film right now, that movie needs to be 1917. I, 
I can't say enough about that movie right now. I want to go watch it right now. As soon as we're done with this, I might go do that, honestly. It is 11.54 p.m. as we record this. I still may, I still may do that. All right. So those are our recommendations, and that makes it our final segment of the day, which is our final thoughts. Now, since April marked the 11th anniversary of Parks and Recreation, I wanted to share a Ron Swansonism with you, which is, you know what makes a good person good? When a good person does something bad, they own up to it. They try to learn something from it, and they move on. Now, to give context to this quote, this was reserved for Leslie in a time where she feels that she's a bad person. Uh, she failed to disclose her and her relationship with Ben uh, in the show. If you haven't seen it, uh, Ben is her campaign manager. Uh, so after failing to do that and after bribing a maintenance worker with, uh, I think it was like a spa coupon to keep everything under wraps she is fearing that she's going to lose her job she's she fears her job's at stake and desperately tries to find some sort of loophole but ron encourages her to just admit her guilt and face the charges which she does ron just assures her that she's a good person with this fantastic quote which is certainly true as good people will sometimes do bad things but it's how they respond to them that will determine if they are good well that is all the time that we have for today, folks. Thank you so much for stopping by. Be sure to like, subscribe, and review Unreal Talk Show and Oops All Topics at Apple Podcast or on Podbean under our Oops All Topics network name. Be sure to tune in on Thursdays for Oops All Topics with Jason Edgar. It is an hour-long variety show hosted by a great friend and mentor. He covers everything from sports, politics, movies, weird science, so much more. Follow Unreal Talk Show on Twitter at Unreal, that's U-N-R-E-E-L, capital T. And follow Jason Edgar at The Jedgar, just how it sounds. Unreal Talk Show music is assembled and produced by Christian Bedingfield. From Oops All Topics Network, remember listeners to lose your fears and find your voice. Later.